You stupid bitch. Yeah, you're a stupid bitch. You stupid bitch. Welcome to this week's episode of Stupid Bitches Say What, the Aussie podcast about everything and nothing but always with wine, and your hosts, Sean Hipkins and Sky Lee Collett. This week, it's true crime. And we aren't restricted by any geographical locations. Pause. Listen in as Sky covers the Harrison family murders, another story of multiple botched investigations about the Canadian family murdered over a four-year period in their own home. That's a long murder. While I discuss the New Zealand murder case of Honora Reaper, murdered by her daughter and her daughter's best friend, which was made into the movie Heavenly Creatures. I can't believe you're doing that. I can't <laughs> believe I haven't even thought to do it. Stop that's right. it. I that's, love that movie. That's why I kept it secret from you. I didn't even <gasps> post it in the chat. I saw it at the cinema too and was completely and completely Obsessed. just. Well, I had complete PTSD after it. I was just like sort of rocking oh, in the corner going. It's oh so sad. God. It's, it's so, so sad. <laughs> I know. I know. But I'll get into all the research and shit I did about that when we talk about it. But before we get into that, what, pray tell, are you drinking, you stupid bitch? Well, I've been very much looking forward to this glass of wine this week. Um, so I am drinking, surprise, have a beer. Um, it's, a, it's a grape and vine Sav Blanc, citrus and passion fruit. And guess Ooh. how much I got these cheeky little bottles for? Oh, I'm going to say it's on the cheap side. As in, like, the price. Mm-hmm. So, $7. Three for 25 plus. Just Louise, that's reasonable. Yes, yes I know. I'm very, um, very impressed by that. Um, and I just realised something else I need to add to um, my housey week bin. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but it's delicious. It doesn't taste cheap at all. And I'm quite... Love that. I'm a quite a bit of a snob when it comes to cheap wine. Especially to savvy booze. Um, $15 or more plus. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very impressed by this non-cheap flavoured cheap wine. It's and delicious. where did you get it from? Just the first choice. And was it three of the same or did you get a mixture? Well, I got one different bottle. It was nice. something else, but it's already been drunk. Oh, um, good. <laughs> Not saving that one for the next step. <laughs> There's only a tiny bit of this one left too. <laughs> have a squiz. Have a sip. I will. I will a... Let me have a little tiny sip. Passion fruit sounds nice. Mm. Refreshing. Oh, good. Which you Refreshing. need on a day like today. It's I been do. a moist day, hasn't it? I Very humid. I yes. Um, and I definitely need a drink after the week I've had. So what, pray tell, are you drinking Sean Bino Hipkins? Well, mine is a Moss Brothers Margaret River. Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc. I do love it. I don't know if I've ever had one. I probably have, but just don't recall. I've had one on the podcast, please. It's a Moses Rock. Was the name of the stallion who roamed Margaret River in the 1920s. Named after the local surf break because of his wild energy and spirit. Sounds like us. Are they talking about a person? Horse. The horsey horsey. Are you sure? <laughs> Brumby. <laughs> but let me have a go. Go on, have a go. Have a little oh. sip, sip. It's nice. It's mm. nice. Refreshing as well. And how much did you pay for that little bottle? Oh, look, I think, is it a naked? There's a pregnancy warning. It's hard to say with you, isn't it? If it's a naked it is. I think it's a, um, I think it's a good pair of days. A gift purchase that someone's just randomly provided you with. Yes, no, I think it's a good pair days. It's nice. It's Something different. Someone's just left at your house. Which I will always take <laughs> willingly. Thank you. <laughs> but how's your week been? Um, well, look, while we're talking about how's your week been, I have to tell you something that happened with Naked Wines. Oh. And I've been quite distressed about. Oh. Um, so if you remember, I spoke in a podcast a little while ago that I paused my Naked subscription. Yes. Um, because I decided I didn't want to get too many cases at a time because Tyler and I were just drinking them. Yes. Um, it was too much temptation and I have absolutely zero self-control. So I paused it probably about three or four months ago, um, randomly about 
three weeks ago, I got an alert on my phone saying, your wine's on its way. Yay, yay, what? hurrah. And I had a look and I went, what the fuck? I paused this subscription. Anyway, and you know, and like you, when you- You have to pick your wines too, don't you? Yeah, it gets better. Um, <laughs> so, like, and I should have just like cancelled it. Do you know what I mean? There's no harm in cancelling because you can just reset it anyway. Yeah. Like it's no big deal. But the chick convinced me to just pause it. She's like, we'll pause it and we won't continue without checking yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so apparently yonks ago, I don't recall doing this because the wine that they sent me, I don't even really like that much. Apparently I selected the thing where when it's back in stock, they'll randomly send you a case, which right. you can do, you know, when you, when you rate a wine or you go to buy one, yeah. like, oh, it's not around now, but you can say that you want it when it's available again. I must've done it probably in a drunken haze. I don't remember because it's not that great a wine. So they sent it to me, even though my subscription is paused and it was $116, including delivery. And it was only six fucking bottles. Oh my like, God. And they ordered, they direct evited that. They just took the money out straight away and sent it to me. So then I contacted them straight away. I said, hey, look, you've sent me this. I'm on a pause subscription. The chick who contacted me back was quite snarky about the whole thing. She's like, oh yeah, well, you may have paused your subscription, but you, um, you know, like put yourself down to get this case of wine, blah, blah, blah. I, I said, would still well, like to be notified yeah. prior to purchasing because I got bills. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, no, 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 no. When you pause a subscription, anything that you've previously signed on for means that that's also paused. So whether yeah. I did or not, I don't remember, but sure, I'm I'm not doubting that I probably did. Um, you can't just send me wine when I've paused a subscription. So she's like, fine, fine, you know, well, you're going to have to send it back and blah, 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 blah. So then went the whole debacle of them sending it to me and their delivery company contacted me and go said, um, we've sent a courier out to come and pick it up. Um, you need to make sure that you've affixed all these labels that you need to print out, blah, 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 and it'll be picked up tomorrow. And I messaged them back. I said, the wine hasn't even been delivered. I've contacted you because you've sent me the notification. Yeah. Um, and ha I haven't even got it yet. So I've got nothing to send it back to. And <laughs> I don't have the labels. They didn't send me the labels. Yeah. So I've got nothing to print off. She's like, oh, sorry about that. If it hasn't been delivered, I'll contact them and see if we can stop the delivery. And I was like, that would be great. Perfect. That's probably what you should have done in the first case. And it's a lot easier. So then knock, knock, knock the next day, I was working from home and there's old courier man coming to pick up the wines that have still not been delivered saying, hey, can I get some wines? And I was like, dude, they're not here. I haven't got them yet. They've sent you too early. Um, I've got nothing to give you. And he looked at me really suspect like I had the wines yeah. and I was trying to steal them and not give them back. <laughs> And I was like, look, man, I'm in a meeting. I was actually on the phone to my boss at the time and I heard a knock at the door and I was like, dude, can you just wait a second? There's someone at the door. I've got to go. So I'm like, you're going to have to leave. I've got nothing for you. And he was like really annoyed and he's still getting paid, right? Take it up with fucking Angel, yeah. not us. So then he left and I contacted them and I was like, you've sent a courier and I haven't even got the wines delivered. Surely you would check that first to see if they've been delivered or if they're still in transit or whatever. Especially when you've already told them they're not here, don't send the dude. <laughs> And so she's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not really sorry. Um, Just give me the wines for free for my trouble. We got the wines. We finally got the <laughs> wines, um, which was about five days later. Then I contacted them. I said, the wines are here. Can you send a courier? Um, they were like, yeah, we'll send you the labels again. Didn't send me the labels. I had nothing to print <laughs> off. So he showed up and I was just like, here, take it back. Then they had the hide to take the delivery cost off me. Um, and just give me the purchase. And I didn't even fight it. I just thought, do you know what? Because when I'd said to the chick, when she was quite snarky about me being not, you know, had su subscribed to this box of six, I said, look, now I actually want my membership cancelled immediately. I'm not interested in staying with you. Like, yeah, you you know, you're saying around. it's my fault that I've got these wines when I had a, a you know, a pause subscription, blah, 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 blah. Just cancel altogether and she was like oh fine whatever blah, blah 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 like she was just she was like really rude <laughs> and maybe I was just interpreting things because sometimes the tone comes across an email a certain way yeah but I'm a little bit cranky about the whole mm. thing like they've always given really good service and whatever's going on there at the moment I'm sorry I need to sort out yeah. do you remember that time we um we both got a free, box, free box delivered <laughs> each yeah. They and, must have sent them to everyone. They must have been some fuck up. Yeah. yeah. In their systems. Yeah, that is disappointing. 
I've got um $180 to spend on naked wines and I was going to do it because our wine racks are getting quite low. And I thought, okay, I'll do a big order. But then I thought, oh, there was no free wine in my basket for like days. And I thought, oh, I'm not ordering until my free yeah. wine comes. I then that it. happened. And my next um, my next withdrawal happens around the 10th or the 11th. So I thought I'll just wait to that and then just get like about 18, 24 bottles or mm. something. Well, Stop look, we've talked up. about it a few times. I'm just going to try a different one, like Virgin Wines or yeah, yeah, you know, I Cosmire thought about or whatever they are. I'll just see what I when next time I feel the inkling to buy a whole case. Of course, yeah. I'll just get one of the sign up deals from some other place. Yeah, but, um, and refer me, and then yeah. you get a little bonus, and I'll get a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I was a little bit annoyed about that whole. That is situation. frustrating. That is but, yeah, frustrating. I'm not going to fight them on the delivery cost. Like I could, but ugh, look. It's like $12 or $11 or something like that. And it's not worth the time for me to email. And but still, that's frustrating. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I was just like, no, you should pay the delivery cost. So they would have paid like three delivery costs because they sent it out and they sent guys <laughs> twice. <laughs> that's where they're like, no, stinger, sting the bitch. <laughs> I know, so it costs them a lot more money. But also the price, six wines yeah. for like $102 or something like that. Like, that's not how we roll naked supposed <laughs> <laughs> to be about the you know the cheapness exactly yeah well the bargains the bargains exactly the thriftiness yeah, thriftiness exactly. of it all and something else that you'll be interested to hear um is that i got a brand new phone Finally. Oh, good. Congratulations. Yes. So my old smashed glass in my fingers, which I also smashed even further <laughs> and the smash went right up the side. Oh, God. You could barely see what I was doing because it was so badly smashed. Is gone, replaced with brand new phone last night. And fortunately, my phone before that was backed up from the day that it went to perfect, shit. Perfect. So everything came across. It's back on there. Yes. So can very I, um, happy. Can I request that you go onto Amazon and buy yourself a screened protector? I have brought myself a screen protector and a case. Um, they're in the mail at the moment. Um, Fantastic. I am going solo without any type of protection right now. That's scary, isn't it? Stripey the baby did knock my phone off the desk <laughs> earlier this evening and it landed flat because if you recall the phone that I've been using with all the glass in, I actually smashed the first day that I got it. Yes. Were you like, no. <laughs> I, was, I was in the bath last night and I was on my phone and Tyler walks in and he's like, no, just no. <laughs> bah. You got that tonight and you're in the bath with it. Like, are you insane? I'm like, I'm always in the bath with it. It's waterproof. I've never dropped it before. It'll be fine. But I had a few moments where I was like, oh, yeah. And if I drop this phone, I'm fucked. Is it, hopefully it's a waterproof one. They usually are It's water nowadays. resistant. Ah, oh, yes. That should be all right. Just don't put it in one of those ultrasonic cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it would survive if I dropped it in the bath? <laughs> yeah, it should do. <laughs> do you water resistant usually means up to two meters or something, I think. Meter and a half. I certainly don't want to risk it, but sure. No, you don't. Let's mm. try it out. Mm. <laughs> Anywho, that's how my week's been. How's your uh, week been, my love? So I'm um the week's been good. I've just come back from some farewell drinks for a girl at work, Hannah, who's leaving the college um today. Hi Hannah. Yeah, so we went and had a few cheeky beverages um to just farewell. And just had two schooners of beer, beer and wine. You'll be fine, is was what my motto bits. was. Um, but, yeah, no, it's quite sad because we really bonded at our work conference the other week um, and then came back and she resigned. Obviously not because of me, just new opportunities. But, yeah, very sad to see her go. Yeah, so this um this episode's for you, Hannah Pulis. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was at our work conference, um, we, I ran into an Indigenous colleague of mine and he's very respected and it's after the the referendum had occurred, which I was devastating about the result. And I didn't know whether to say anything or not. You know, you just don't know what's the it's hard, right thing it? it's to do. It's such a hard topic in Australia, which is so sad that it is. Yes, and you want considering and, the outcome of the vote, you know, we feel like oh, totally. And I was devastated. You can't talk about it exactly. And I was devastated for him. And so I'd seen him originally, said hi, whatnot. And then he, I saw him again. He was coming down the escalators, and I just thought, you know what, fucking say something. Mm. So I was like, hi, blah blah. I'm um, I don't know 
the word to say. And I started getting a bit emotional when I was saying it to him, but I said, I just really want to let you know, I'm really, really sorry about what happened last weekend. Um, it's quite devastating and blah, blah, blah. And he spoke to me and he said, look, brother, I know how, I know it is tragic and I hate it myself. And, um, and I know you've gone through this yourself with the yes vote and for marriage quality. And he goes, and it just is really disappointing that we have all these people at the table making decisions for people that, you know, when we're not at the table ourselves and yada, yada, yada. And it was true. And I'm getting to speaking about it now. And he actually spoke at the conference too, because it was quite, it was the week after and it was quite a a big theme, Mm -hmm. I guess, because it was so fresh and raw. And he said something that was really quite interesting um, to the auditorium. He was saying that since that vote had happened, he's walked into a shop that he's been into many times over the last years. He's friends with the people in the shop. And for the first time in about 15 years, he said he walked into the shop and the first thing he did was identify the biggest threat, identify a potential weapon, and then identify an exit. And he hasn't had to do that in or feel like that in 15 to 20 years. But since the referendum, that's that fears automatically come back to him again. Yeah, it was quite heartbreaking listening to him say it. And some of the other Indigenous colleagues were saying how um, now they walk in there and when people look at them, that automatic fear is because it was such a strong no vote, the automatic fear is what are they thinking? What are they judging? You know, they're, they're feeling, what's the word? Not insecure, but just on alert, on alert. Yeah. And, and I totally get that too. I'd imagine if the yes vote for the marriage quality had gone the other way and well, actually, even when it was came through with the yes vote for marriage quality was 60, 40. yes, Yes. I still remember thinking to myself, if I line 10 people up in the office on average, that's six saying yes and four of them telling me no. And mm. so you could imagine how it feels when the majority is a no, how they must feel and how. I so never that thought was, about it from that perspective either. Yeah, it's quite, it was It was very sad. But um, I don't know how to finish this off. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very, um, it was very raw and touching moment really. And yeah, I just want to say that I don't know. Do I say to it's our... hard to have hope in the situation because um, it's not going to come up again, at least in this current oh, leadership. No, um, oh, it's because... not going to come up for another decade, at least. Yeah. Um, so, what do you do? You just have to, I guess, move on and hope that things just keep educating in a positive direction and not in the other way. And this is what another thing he said as well. He goes, um, so we now are calling for your support. We don't want you to stand behind us. We don't want you to stand in front of us, stand next to us Yeah, yeah moving okay. forward. And, um, yeah, and I agree. And I do stand next to you. I do too. But anyway, that was that week. So shall we get into our topics? Yes. I think yes, you're first, yes. you stupid bitch. Yes. And I'm intrigued okay. to hear how a murder of a family lasted four yards. Oh, okay. All right. I hope I do this justice because there was a lot of information um, and there was, uh, it's come up recently back in the media again. So, and I'll get to that point. So um, some of my initial research is a little bit dated, uh, but I will try to do it justice. The Harrison family murders. In April, 2009, Bridget Harrison came home to her property on Pitch Pine Crescent in Missyagua. Canada. I hope I pronounced that right. I don't think I did. (laughs) But you gave it a good damn shot. I gave it a good damn shot uh, to find her 65-year-old husband, Bill, unresponsive in the bathroom. Investigators ruled his death a medical episode. I've heard the 911 call and it's really sad because she totally sounds like she thinks it's not that serious and he's going to be okay. Oh, please. The same day Bill died, their ex-daughter-in-law, Melissa Merritt, left the province, so... Canada has yep. provinces, um, violating a court order where the grandparents were cited as having shared custody. So her husband died the same day her daughter-in-law left without returning, took her the two grandchildren away um, outside of a court order. Melissa Merritt and her partner, Chris, 
escalated verbal attacks on the family as the ugly custody arrangement between her and the Harrisons continued and grew increasingly tense. One year later, it was Bridget's death that rocked the small community and occurred in the same house. Okay, hang on. So the wife goes home, finds uh, her husband unresponsive in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Her ex-daughter-in-law that same day, the mm -hmm. next day, the same left day. the province with their grandchildren. And is the son around? Yes. He still looks, okay. We'll talk and about the son in a minute. And then there was a, after the death, there was fights about the custody battle, about the kids because of the court order that she broke. Yes. Well, in the background, basically, yeah. there was this escalating. That was happening Whilst, custody battle right. that was happening yeah. in the background. And Bridget is? Um, so that's Bill's wife. Right. And that's the grandmother of the two okay. children. And then a year later, she's found dead. Correct. Got it. Go. So one year later, it was Bridget's death that rocked the small community and occurred in the same house. She was found laying at the bottom of the stairs leading up to the second story landing. It was her grandson who found her. Bless. Bridget had been scheduled to give a victim impact statement the next day in court at the custody trial of Melissa. Oh, suspicious. Despite the two deaths occurring 12 months apart in the same location, their files were updated to the category of death undetermined and investigators and authorities moved on with their lives four months after Bridget's death, concluding that no foul play was after Bridget's death, concluding that no foul play was suspected. Wow. That seems highly coincidental to me. I know. On August 23, 2013, a housekeeper had been cleaning the home at Pitch Pine Crescent for almost two hours. Her work was interrupted by a man at the door looking for 40-year-old Caleb Harrison, the son of Bridget and Bill. Caleb hadn't shown up for work at his office that morning. The housekeeper informed him that she hadn't seen Caleb in the house and that his bedroom door was closed. The pair went upstairs to investigate and found him in bed, a blanket pulled up to his chin and tucked in as if he was sleeping. He was not. God. At the time of his death, Caleb had full custody of his two children. He was found dead the day before his ex-partner was required to return the children after a court-approved increased period of summer access. Wow. So she and had the kids and she was supposed to bring them back the next day and he was found dead the day before. She had them for a few weeks over the summer. And there's no alarm bells going off at this stage, obviously. Shortly after the housekeeper and Caleb's colleague ventured upstairs at Pitch Pine Crescent, sirens blared in the street for the third time in four years. Jesus. Paramedic Patrick Moran looked at the house with its sloped roof and cathedral windows and was struck by a powerful memory. He turned to his partner. I've been here before, he said. The paramedics rushed to the second floor master bedroom, but there was nothing to be done. Caleb Harrison was dead. Caleb was a 40-year-old father of two with an easy smile, a dark past, and the names of his children tattooed over his heart. Oh, the God. night before, as the late August sun sank into the horizon, Caleb had helped coach his daughter's softball game in a nearby town and driven home alone. His children, 10 and 12, were spending the week with their mother, his ex-wife. They had all been together at the baseball diamond, Caleb, his kids, his ex and her husband. At home after the game, Caleb poured a drink and turned on the television. Around 11pm, he called his girlfriend, then switched his phone to silent and went to bed. A light sleeper, he wore an eye mask and kept a loud fan running in his bedroom. Now paramedics... That sounds like a dream, actually. <laughs> the eye like mask what? and a dream, the loud mask, the loud fan and an eye mask. <laughs> I slept with an eye mask, please. Now paramedics and police stood over Caleb's body and noted troubling injuries, bruising and abrasions on his neck, swollen knuckles, deep scratches on his chest. Jesus. Ca called in to photograph the scene, Constable Sonia Macken, a forensic identify identification services officer, entered through the front door and seeing the carpeted staircase leading to the second floor had the same flash of memory as the paramedic. Years earlier, Macken had photographed another body right here at the bottom of the stairs. Mm. She'd been there before too. 
outside the commotion of cruisers and police tape set off a chain reaction of telephone calls. A neighbour phoned a family friend who phoned another friend who phoned Elizabeth Gallant, Caleb's aunt, who lived nearby. The friend said she'd heard a terrible rumour. Gallant gasped at the news. Finding it impossible to believe, she got in her car and drove to the Harrison residence. Jesus. The town's regional police would come to believe that the same perpetrators were responsible for all three deaths. A theory that, if proven, meant that someone had gotten away with murder twice before and that authorities had missed two homicides. Mm. And she's married again now, you were saying. Yes, that's correct. This was the final straw for the Harrison family. How could three unexplained deaths all occur in one family home to one family? No one believed these deaths were accidental. Mm. Especially with the timing of them all too, right before she was meant to do a character reference, right before he was meant to get the kids back. And she takes the kids the day that they're all distracted yeah. because the fir- the husband's dead, the first yeah. murder or the first death occurred. Investigators quickly determined that the scene of Caleb's murder was staged to look like a robbery gone wrong and found defensive wounds on his hands, indicating he fought back at his attacker. And then went to bed and pulled his blanket up under his chin. Exactly. With an eye mask. (laughs) This also did not fit with him being neatly tucked into bed. Yes. Fortunately, Caleb's death raised questions about his parents. The three Harrison family members were found dead in the span of four years. The murder of Bill's son, so that was the dad who died first, finally triggering triggering a sprawling investigation. I bet they had thought they had got away with it. Of course they did. And you would have thought, well, and it's probably happened that Caleb would have been going like, what the fuck, when his parents both died there too, in weird mm. circumstances. But Do- when the authorities say, like, uh, yeah. you know, I guess sometimes you don't believe people are capable of what they're capable of either, right? Yeah. But do we know how the dad died, the first death? They just thought it was like a heart attack or something. No, I'll get to that. Okay. Melissa was arrested along with her husband, Christopher Tory in January 2014. They were both charged in the murders of Bridget and Caleb. Christopher alone would be charged with Bill's death. A criminal trial led to murder convictions in two of the three deaths, but it did not expose a series of missteps that led to this extraordinary investigative failure. Mm. Pieced together, records disclosed over four years of criminal proceedings tell a story of mistakes made at every juncture by police, coroners and pathologists. Yeah, because you would have thought, well, I would have thought if I had gone and seen someone die, had one death and then the mother's death afterwards with all the shit that's going on, even though it may have been ruled, oh, it's all fine. You'd still go, let's look into the potential that it's not. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. And look, there they could have been some of that. There could have been where they had, you know, the family members had said things, but the police had just ignored it or whatever. Um, but apologies, but that did not come up in my research. Do we know what year it was? Sorry. So uh, 2014. Sorry, so there, there's no excuse, really. It's not like it was 82 with the like too hard basket. So less than 2009 was the dad. First. 2010 yeah. was Bridget Harrison. 2013 was Caleb Harrison, the son. Yeah. Um, and 2014 was when they were charged. Yeah. And it's so sad because it, they could have saved, definitely saved at least the son's life if they looked into it properly totally. in the first two. Yeah. Um. The Harrison surviving family members believed the murder believed the murders of Bridget and Caleb could have been prevented if the first death had been <laughs> properly <go>. investigated. <laughs> Sorry, stupid bitch. <laughs> Doug Blackwell, Bridget's only sibling, sat through much of the trial, incredulous at how clear the evidence of his sister's mm. murder turned out to be. My faith in justice has been destroyed, he said. So this is Caleb's uncle. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Chris, this so this is the husband of Melissa, confessed mm. to killing Caleb and Bridget, claiming Melissa had nothing to do with it. 
his confession is available online if you want to go and listen to it. He claims he hit Bridget a couple of times and strangled her. Her cause of death was labelled as being caused by asphyxia. I'm sorry, how do coroners miss the evidence left by someone being hit and strangled? Especially the strangled part. that it was asphyxia that killed them. If they thought she fell down the stairs, okay. But if she was strangled, there's Ooh. going to be evidence of a strangulation. What did they I think know, she right? did? Have you seen that meme of the call me dramatic and um the it's like um in a bollywood film and the mother slaps the daughter and she goes flying over to the bed and wraps herself up in the the tulle from the bed around her neck and she's like ah oh, that's <laughs> like is that what they thought happened <laughs> i know right it's pretty bad um so chris was convicted of first degree murder in the deaths of bridget and uh caleb melissa was convicted of first degree murder in caleb's death only both are currently serving life sentences and have filed appeals. There was never any conviction in Bill's death. So, uh... Uh, Melissa was later acquitted in Bridget's case, but is still in prison for Caleb's murder. Good. Uh, in a court appeal, though, earlier because that this bitch year, had involvement, whether yeah. she did it or not, she told him to do it. Why would he have done it anyway? Exactly. There's no, there's no motive for him to do it yeah. and not tell her and not involve her in any way. It was her children. Yeah. It wasn't a Christmas present for her. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a, like, surprise. <laughs> like, every Problem solved. Member associated with your children. And have I yeah. made you happy? Do you love me more? <laughs> exactly. Um, in a court appeal earlier this year, Melissa Merritt has been granted a retrial by a jury of three judges. They ruled that there were errors potentially made in her earlier cases that may have swayed the jury. Chris Fattori's appeal was dismissed as the judge said there was compelling evidence link linking him to Caleb's death, including DNA under Caleb's fingertips that was consistent with DNA evidence found in latex gloves in a garbage bin on the couple's outside of the couple's property. And that whole confession thing. <laughs> In the bin were also black Walmart shoes that had Caleb's DNA as well as matching hairs to Caleb's dog. Whose bin? Their bin, outside their property. What a so dumb fucker. Melissa and Chris, I know when I was writing it up, I was just like, dude, Murder I'm just 101. Put this here. <laughs> Not letting the anything scene. from the OJ case, If it doesn't fit. <laughs> Um, so Google data seized on both Melissa and Chris's devices showed oh, the following search history. <laughs> Here we go. How long until someone dies from being choked? <laughs> How to get through a locked patio door. Easy ways to kill and get oh, away with it. Oh, my God. How to make poison. How to know if your home phone is tapped. Mm. These searches were dismissed at trial as evidence as investigators failed to secure the proper warrant to search the devices. Oh, my God. On a Another positive note, whilst her appeal has been consented to, no new date has been set for trial and she is currently incarcerated until it is. So what are we, 2023? They've been yeah. incarcerated since 2014, so they've been in there for nine years. And they so should be in gonna, there more. Those poor children. Yeah, so those poor babies. Um, P.S. She divorced poor Chris and is now in a relationship with one of her former guards. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> you took the rat man. <laughs> How dare you kill these people? For my you benefit. lost your appeal because all and... the evidence pointed to you. Um, you had an admission of guilt in police custody, and now she's moved on with another bloke. Who was a former guard, yeah. one of her prison guards, I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh. Jesus Christ. She's not an unattractive woman either, like, yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, she could be some other, some person's bitch in prison. In fact, she's got him with the guards too. She knows what she's doing. You're in the video on your knickers, FYI. <laughs> Lovely, Vincent. <laughs> do love a picture of you in your knickers. <laughs> So what do you think of that one? Oh, God. It's, it blows you away, doesn't it? It's just annoying that in 2009, okay, you can you can sort of let the first one slide, 
But then a year later, the mother dies right before she's meant to give a character reference or a victim statement, sorry. Found dead at the bottom of the stairs, strangled and beaten, but no investigation is really looked into it. And then, yeah, it's just frustrating. And he was at the baseball game with them before he died, the night of his, like he was dead the next morning and he was there and they were all together. Whether they were playing Happy Families whether they sat on opposite sides of the game. There was still that connection. And yeah, then he was like, tucked in bed with an eye mask with bruises on his knuckles and scratches on his chest. It's no, like, he yeah. went to sleep with his eye mask. I don't think he was found in his eye mask. He was, you know, just in a state of zen going to bed. Like, you know, he's getting his kids back tomorrow. He's chill. He spoke to his girlfriend and then boom, boom. The next but they've day, obviously killed him and put him back into bed like that right oh yeah absolutely yeah they've killed him because he had all the defensive wounds and then they've tucked him into bed like that's a two-person job i'm yeah. sorry that's yeah, not yeah, one yeah. guy dragging someone back into bed and making it look like he was never there yeah that's that's a two-person job so you know well, and she might get out <laughs> i'd like to the mental note follow up see what we know so when did you say they're doing the retrial we don't so know she yet. Was There's no date. At the beginning of this year, but they haven't set a date for the retrial. But this is the problem, though. When like the authorities don't investigate things properly and they taint evidence, yeah, and they act hastily and they don't follow the do system. the pr- pr- proper procedures like getting the warrants and shit. Because Can't they get a warrant now and get all that information again? I Who think knows? It's too late because yeah. they they got it already. Um, fucked it. Yeah, there was also, and look, I, I was going to put this in here, but it was a little bit convoluted to try to explain it um, on the podcast, but there was a situation where they were in the airport and they've got a recording of them, um, but parts of it are muffled and you can't hear it. Mm-hmm. So the people on her, on the defence were saying, look, because you can't hear certain pieces of what she's saying, it could be construed anyway, but basically she's like, we're fucked. You shouldn't have spoken to them. If they get, you know any evidence from audio, um, any sort of audio evidence. Like I think she was referring to potentially their house being tapped, but I don't believe that that was. I think they were just paranoid by that point. Um, She was saying that they're fucked, but they were saying that it could be construed as her saying they're fucked because of the information that they have on her, on them. This is when it becomes... This is when it becomes a real moral thing when you are yeah. a defence attorney, doesn't it? If you're defending someone who is clearly guilty and you're trying to get them yeah. off. But it comes back to that whole reasonable doubt thing. And, look, it can you can, you can plead it both ways, but I think yeah. the law is so specific for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and I get that. trying to protect both sides. Of course. You and know? you'd want that if you were innocent. Yes. You would definitely want that. But then there's other cases that we've talked about where it's been completely misconstrued and because mm. they've had a terrible prosecutor or a t- terrible yeah, defender, yeah, yeah. they've been completely fucked. It's, it's like who's the smartest kid? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. who's the smartest person who's going to, yeah. um, you know, like – not manipulate, that's not the word I'm looking for, interpret the law in a way that people will believe that side of the story. Yeah, and Who's find loopholes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, but it's like, you know, with the whole staircase thing. Yes, exactly. Where what, where what happened with him and with the owl scenario or the owl theory is actually plausible. Makes sense. It totally does. And, and it could have actually been that. It's probably a slim chance, but there is a chance. The staircase actually popped into my head when I was doing this, maybe because she was found at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah, that, well, as soon as she um, said that, I thought of that. <laughs> but it is like these people have wiped out that whole family. That's the, the yep. their, her children yep. no longer have a grandfather, a grandmother, or a dad. A father. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Who does that? And that I'm sorry, is... you can paint it any way you want. And I'm sure she'll probably get off, but there is no convincing me that she is innocent in this. I'm There's, sorry. Yeah. That's the psychopath and the sociopath in her, in her that she actually feels. Who takes the kids away the day that the grandfather dies? Yeah. How vindictive could you be? Oh, sorry, your husband's yeah. just died. I'm taking the kids away so you can't see them. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I know, or, yeah. Or even if you didn't know and you actually did take them away, then you found out like a week later that he passed away, you'd be like, fuck. 
Come I've got to go back. Like yeah. they've got this family's going through real trauma. Their grandfather's just passed away. Their dad must be beside themselves. I've got to take the kids back. That's yeah. just mean, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a psychopath. Mm. They don't care about anything but themselves. It is. It is. Yeah. And to believe that, you know, it took the third death for them all to be like, oh. To piece it together. Hang on a smidge. (laughs) Exactly. A bit of divorce, you say? What about the paramedics, though, and the police showing up at the same scene over and over because it was a small community? Like, I've been here before. Actually, I've been here twice before. Now I'm here thrice times. (laughs) The last murder case we dealt with was right here. (laughs) Yeah, that's fucked up. Good good case, good story. I haven't heard of that one before. No, I didn't think that you had. I haven't. I like it. Okay, your turn. All right. So, as we know, um, the case I'm doing was made into a feature film, Heavenly Creatures. So I'll just go straight into it. This gives me shivers already. I'm shivering. (laughs) Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume seemed like perfectly ordinary teenage girls. However... After the two teenagers had become obsessed with each other and the fantasy world they'd created, their friendship took a very dark turn. And on the 22nd of June in 1954... 54th? Oh, in the 50s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's why a lot of this stuff, um, uh, the societal expectations and shit like that come into play so on the 22nd of june 1954 it would mark a day that would be remembered in new zealand for decades to come after they viciously murdered parker's mother honora reaper the scandalous trial that followed captivated new zealanders and the story was even turned into the feature film heavenly creatures which was released people if you haven't seen it what it will fuck you up it's gory as fuck (laughs) released in 1994 Directed by Peter Jackson. Oh, my God, I forgot that. Lord of the Rings. Because he's New Zealander, isn't he? Yes, yeah. That's why Lord of the Rings is all there. Of course, of course, of course, yes. And also a movie called Meet the Feebles, which I think is around 93, maybe. No, actually, I think it's early. I think it's 92. With the puppets? Yes, and it's pretty, like, I think Tyler would fucking love it. It was one that me, my family and I watched when it came out on VHS um, and loved it. Like, um, I don't know, I don't think it's on any streaming services, but you might be able to get it on YouTube, but it's fucking weird, but it's fucking great. Anyway, <laughs> the movie Heavenly Creatures starred Kate Winslet and oh. Melanie Linsky. You know love Melanie Linsky. Oh, yes. I'd, I'd love them both. She's also married to um John Ritter's son. Oh, is she? Yeah, you know John Ritter who died? Yes, uh, yes. Was on, um, seven Simple Rules for Dating. Da- oh, yes. Is it Seven Simple Rules? Simple Rules for Dating My Daughter. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she was in um Yellow, she's in Yellow Jackets, and she was yes. in The Last of Us. Yes, she was in The Last of Us. She was also in um The Men and Three. Two men and a boy. What's the Three one? Three men and a baby. No, the Charlie Sheen one. Oh, two, two and a half men. Two and a half men, yeah. She Was plays she? the girlfriend of, or the one who's obsessed with Charlie Sheen's character, I think. Oh, She's I didn't quite know that. crazy, yeah. She's so in to heaps, be fair, I didn't. Yeah, well, she was in Ever After as one of the stepsisters, but I never watched Two and a Half Men. If you wicked her, she would have thousands of roles. IMDb. Yeah. So what exactly led to the infamous Parker Hume murder? I wonder if her and Kate Winslet are friends. Yeah, I know. That'd be in nice to life. know. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they kept in touch all these years. <laughs> like the two murderesses did not. Anyway, well, dear listeners, settle in and let me tell you a tale, please. All right. So Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume, Juliet Hume were two girls at first glance couldn't be more different. Pauline was new... New Zealand born, her dad managed a fish shop and her mum ran a boarding house. Juliet was born in England and had a mm. physicist dad who had a hand in building the first British hydrogen bomb and had a much more affluent lifestyle than Pauline did. It was rich girl, poor girl, wasn't it? Totally was. Pauline was on the shorter side, had a bit of a surly demeanour and dark hair, while Juliet was tall, attractive and had a charming English accent. 
And I have to say here too, the casting for Heavenly Creatures was spot on. Oh, so and spot on. The acting from both Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky, even though they were both babies in the film and they're babies. Well, you they're not babies, but they're... You're making me want to rewatch they're... it. I'm totally going to make Tyler... It will mess Tyler up. Yeah, it's it's good. Even though they're both babies in the film, their acting is fantastic. And in particular, Melanie's portrayal of Pauline. So when you see the pictures of Pauline compared to Melanie, it's spot on with the surliness, the whole grumpy face look she does. She's great. Anywho. And it's quite um, beautiful in the beginning, isn't it? Like their friendship. Yeah, yeah, totes. It's quite lovely. And then it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Super dark and twisted. And it's kind of cuckoo, their friendship as well. (laughs) Anyway, despite their contrasting backgrounds, these girls had become fast friends when Juliet's family moved to Christchurch in New Zealand. Both girls also had their health issues when they were younger, and they'd both spent a large amount of their younger years in hospital. Pauline had a bone disease that I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce, but she basically, she says basically her bones were like chalk and it took two years for them to drain the crap out, is what she says in the movie, (laughs) while Juliet had respiratory issues. So her parents sent her off to the Bahamas without them for five years where it was warmer for her health. It's actually quite sad. So Vinny and I watched the movie this week. And I tried to find where it was streaming. It's not on any platforms, but you can watch it on YouTube free of charge, ad-free. Don't have to have YouTube premium, yeah. So I made him watch it because I wanted to, I'd done my research, but it glossed over. wanted to refresh it all. I wanted to be able to build more on some of the scenarios. And it's quite sad when you see how Juliet is just fobbed off by her parents throughout it, which affects her quite a lot as perpetrated in the film anyway. But it was because of those health issues that they had that they actually both formed their friendship because they both had to sit out of physical physical education classes together. (laughs) (laughs) So unlike the peaceful intellectual life Juliet shares with her family, Pauline's relationship with her mother, Honora, is hostile and the two fight constantly. Pauline spends teenage girls do with their mother. 100%. Pauline spends most of her time at the Humes, where where she feels accepted. But in saying that, the relationship with the mother, as per the film, anyways, is fine in the beginning. That's a standard relationship between a parent and a teenage daughter, somewhat volatile at points. But you know, the mother is fine. She's actually a reasonable woman. It's just the kids a young teen who thinks everyone's against them and they want to do their own shit and make their own decisions. And, you know, they know better than everyone, just how it is in life in general. Together, Juliet and Pauline paint, write stories, make clay figurines, and eventually they create a a fantasy kingdom called Barovnia. Barovnia is the setting of the adventure novels that they write together, which they they hope to have published and made into films in Hollywood in the future. Over time, it begins to be as real to them as the real world itself. Juliet introduces Pauline to the idea of the fourth world, a heaven without Christians, where music and art are celebrated, and Juliet believes she will go there when she dies. Juliet is very imaginative imaginative, and very, very spirited, and as I said earlier, she's slightly cuckoo, though, and you see it in her tour, it's just like, okay, cool, yeah, like, this is fun, but girl i'm down love <laughs> i'm down it's like she's just constantly tripping the fourth world they created in their minds the fourth world they created in their minds become a becomes a real place to them where they even made up a religion where they worship celebrities like mario lanza as saints do you know who mario lanza is no so he was an american tenor and a hollywood film star in the late 40s and the 50s um, I don't know if I've got this in here, but when I was having a quick look at him to see some of the background of him, he only, he died like when he was 38. So he was quite young when he died. Anyway, the only reason I know who he is is from Year 5 Choir, where we sang one of his songs called Serenading a Mule. And I used to sing it all the I'm time. I'm not shocked so. by this. I'm not shocked. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Superstar. And I used to sing it all the time around the house when we were learning it, which my mum found hilarious at the time. She used to just fucking start saying this, uh, the 
um, line from the song serenading a mule and then they play it in the movie and it's amazing what your brain actually retains so I remember obviously watching the movie when it came out in 94 95 and I remembered the song but all I could remember was the title and when it was playing in the movie I was able to sing along with it slightly like some of the verses and it goes like, there's a song in the air, but the fair senorita doesn't seem to care. There's a song in the air. Watch it when you watch it. You love a chance to fucking sing on this podcast, <laughs> mate. That's the whole reason you and I know Jesus Christ Superstar is because I was in the choir at Vienna Woods Public School. Oh, Vienna Woods school. State School, please. Many moons ago. <laughs> and I also sung in Jesus Christ Superstar musical at school. Well, the I didn't know you went to Vienna Wood State School. Yeah. That was up the road from where I lived. Yeah. Um, anywho, slowly they became more wrapped up in their imaginary world and less connected to reality. Here's an excerpt from Pauline's Pauline Parker's diary um, about it all from the 3rd of April in 1953. Today, Juliet and I found the key to the fourth world. Is that Excellent Kiwi? Excellent accent, by the way. Excellent. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. We realise now that we have had it in our possession for about six months, but we only realised it on the day of the death of Christ. We saw a gateway through the clouds. We sat on the edge of the path and looked down the hill, out over the bay. Am I sounding more Australian than I am, Kiwi? Getting it. You're getting it. The island looks beautiful. I'll just speak normally. The sea was blue. Everything was full of peace and bliss. We then realised we had the key. We now know that we are not genii, which is plural for genies, please. As we thought, we have an extra part of our brain which we can appreciate the fourth world. Only about 10 people have it. <laughs> when we die, we will go to the fourth world. But meanwhile, on two days every year, we may use the key and look into that beautiful world, which we have been lucky enough to be allowed to know of on this day of finding the key to the way through the clouds. So their fantasy life becomes a usual escape from the real real world, and the two engage in increasingly violent, even murderous fantasies about people who oppress them. So the clay figures they make are characters in the fantasy world and they imagine them stabbing and killing people who get in their way and try and stop them from doing what they want. One day, however, during class, Juliet has a coughing fit and coughs up some blood and she's diagnosed with tuberculosis and sent to a clinic. That's what my grandfather died of. This happened shortly after her parents advise her. So the parents, right before she gets diagnosed with tuberculosis her parents advise her that the father has a conference that he needs to attend in the UK and um, the mother has decided that she's going to accompany him leaving her with carers in New Zealand which makes her quite distraught and even though she then gets diagnosed with tuberculosis and she's in the clinic they still go ahead with their journey and leave her there by herself while Excellent she's recovering oh, totally it's so sad Juliet and Pauline begin writing to each other while she's being treated, but not only as themselves, but also in the roles of the royal couple of Berivnia. So in the fourth in the fourth world, they'd write four pages as their characters to each other, and then a couple of pages as themselves. And the characters they embody are in a relationship together. Not being a teenager is cool, isn't it? You can really just, <laughs> just let go. do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's real. But it's interesting that they kill her mother and not Juliet's mother, who seems to be like the it's real fucking one, bitch. Yeah. yeah. While Juliet is in the clinic, one of the lodgers at the boarding house run by Pauline's mother falls in love with Pauline, who was 14 at the time, and he's definitely over 18, I'd imagine, but they don't really say. Anywho. He goes into the room with her one night and ends up laying in bed with her under the covers. He's like, I love you, Pauline. And she's like, she does, she's 14. So she's like, oh yeah. And anyway, this teacher at school is such a bitch and rah, rah, rah. She's talking about that. Nick minute, he's groping her, groping her. But then the father walks in and finds them together. The lodge is booted. And of course it's the fifties. So it's all Pauline's fault, mm -hmm. even though she's 14 years old, naturally. They don't sleep together at that point, but the incident fuels more of the conflict between Pauline and her mother. Mm. One night she sneaks away to meet the lodger and they do end up having sex. 
and she tells Juliet about it and it makes Juliet very jealous. She goes psycho, yeah, I remember that bit too. Where Pauline assures her that boys are shit, basically. Like, and you can see, and like, obviously it's, this is what I got from the movie, not from the research, but what they sort of portray in the movie is while it's happening, it's sort of like, you know, when sex is such a thing, when you never had it and you just got to do it just to do it. Deal, it's like the biggest deal at of the time when you're a teenager. When you're that Everything. age, and so she just did it obviously to just do it. I believe that they were lesbians, and she just did it with a boy just because that's what she thought she had to do, I guess. Hmm. But she doesn't like it. After Juliet is released from the clinic, their relationship intensifies. Wary of her attachment to Pauline, Juliet's father speaks to Pauline's parents about it who then take her to a doctor, a psychiatrist. The doctor suspects that Pauline is homosexual and uses it to explain her dramatic weight loss and increasing anger at her mother because it's a mental health issue. Mm, of course. And it was also a crime in New Zealand at the time. Uh, she did also have some mental health issues, please. She that's, did. That's reflective of <laughs> what happens next. <laughs> Their deep obsession with each other continues and they are, end up practically inseparable. Juliet discovers that her mother is having an affair with this guy, one of her, because I think the mother's like a psychiatrist as well or a psychologist, and it's one of her patients or if she's a counsellor or some shit. She confronts her mother and demands that her mother pay her £100 or she'll tell father, but the father already knew. And they were living as a threesome, non-sexually, as they had to keep their marriage together until they figured shit out. So I'm assuming maybe it had to do with something with his job at the university and not looking mm. good if he was divorced, blah, blah, blah. In 1954, however, Juliet's parents decide to get divorced. The father is moving back to the UK and Juliet's like, you can't leave me here with mother by myself. And then the mother reveals that they're actually planning on sending her to live with her aunt in South Africa for her health. Apparently they were open to Pauline going with her, but when Pauline mentions it to her mother, her mum naturally denies her saying, no, your place is with your family, you're 14 years old. So the teenage girls, aged 16 and 15 at this time, came up with a wild plan to kill Pauline's mum. Another part from her diary is, why could not mother die? Pauline Parker mused in her diary. Dozens of people are dying all the time. Thousands. So why not mother? And father too. On the 22nd of June, 1954, which Pauline called the day of the happy event in her diary, they invited Pauline's mum. This is really sad. They invited Pauline's mum for a walk in Victoria Park. It's really sad in the flick too, because the mum feels excited that her daughter wants to spend time with her finally. They're getting along and she's really looking forward to the day with the two girls. They get to the start of the path where the girls are like, come on, let's go. And the mum's like, no, let's have a cup of tea first. And they duck into the cafe there and they have a lovely Devonshire tea together. And then they start the stroll through the park. Pauline leads the walk with the mother in the middle and Juliet behind them. Juliet drops a pink charm on the path. And as they head back to get to the bus, Pauline points out the charm on the, points out the charm to the mother who bends over to have a look. It's at this point that Pauline pulls a stocking out of her bag with half a brick in it and strikes her mother from behind in the head and continues to bash her. The mother is in complete shock and starts screaming as she continues to get bludgeoned. The girls then take turns in bashing her, hitting the mother over 20 times before she dies. Afterwards, they run back to the cafe they had tea in, screaming, covered in blood, telling the owner that's owners that Pauline's mum had fallen and hit her head but it didn't take long for the truth to come out. A detective described the attack, the attack as animal ferocity and the bloody brick was found nearby. Stupid bitches. I know they're only 15, 16, but again, cover it be crimes a bit better, please. They also find the diaries a few hours later that, that Pauline had been writing in, documenting all of her thoughts and the plans to kill her mother. Or as they put it, moida, to try and cover her up. We are, we are going to moida mother, which pretty much spells it out. Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume get arrested and charged with the murder of Honora Reaper. The trial was a sensation, with the prosecution, prosecution using Pauline's diary to prove that they had planned to kill her mum. 
the defense argued that the girls were caught up in a shared delusion or disorder, trying to prove that they were insane when it happened. Defense counsel Brian McClelland said, the problem was they'd both confessed to it, and the only defense we had was insanity. But how could we find the two of them insane? Question mark. And then this chap, Reginald Medalcott, comes up with, along with this wonderful idea that they could have folly adieu. So we went with that, and folly adieu is shared delusional disorder, which they kind of did with the whole world that they were running around in, thinking it was all real and shit. They still suck, guys. No, it totally sucks. The diary also contained details a few days before the murder, which Parker had described how thrilled she was, she and Hume, Hume were with the plan writing naturally we feel a trifle nervous but the pleasure of anticipation is great two days later she added we decided to use a rock in a stocking rather than a sandbag we discussed the moida i feel keyed up as if i were planning a surprise party i mean and the day prior she writes when i next write in here mother will be dead how odd the oh, trial also i don't want to watch it now Oh, you got it. No, Tyler won't cope with it. And I couldn't watch it on my own. I remember it all now you're talking about it. It was awful. It's so sad when when you see the mum too, because she just seems so happy on the day that they're going out. Anyway, the trial also get tangled, gets tangled up about the rumours about their supposed lesbian relationship, with both of them later them, denied. Yeah. Well, they both later denied adding even more drama to the case. In the end, they were both found guilty of murder on the 28th of August, 1954. And because they were too young to receive the death penalty, they are sentenced to, and I quote, detention during Her Majesty's pleasure, which is a sentence for a convicted person under the age of 18, in which they are detained for an indeterminate amount of yeah. time based on the discretion of a judge. They each ended up serving five years in separate prisons. prisons. In the decades since their release from prison, Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume both established new and totally separate lives. Parker, who changed her name to Hilary Nathan, has lived a reclusive life in the United Kingdom. She became devoutly Catholic and has spent her days teaching children to ride horses. Her sister Wendy said she had no contact with the outside world and deeply regrets killing her mother. Juliet Hume, on the other hand, grew up to live out a dream that she and her childhood friend had once envisioned. Envision, envis <laughs> envisioned. After the 1994 release of Heavenly Creatures, journalists tracked Hume down and shockingly discovered that she had become a best-selling murder mystery writer named Anne Perry. She has written over 100 books, selling over 26 million copies, and is best known for the Thomas and Charlotte Pitt series and the William Monk series, which were historical detective fiction books. She is noted for her memorable characters, historical accuracy, and exploration of social and ethical issues. She's also wrote a heap of Christmas books, like a shitload, 27, over a 21-year period. What's her name? Anne Perry. Anne Perry. Oh, I'm going to get one of those books. When, so, yeah, the two ones she's known for is the Charlotte and Thomas Pitt and the William Monk series. She also... Um, Birthday when, present ID for me, please. Yeah, it's one of the Christmas books. We, no, we already have a Christmas present ID. Oh, yes, true. When asked about the crimes of her childhood, Perry said she doesn't spend much time thinking about what she and Pauline Parker did. I would just torment myself and that wouldn't help anyone. She said, in the end, she said, Honor a Reaper was someone I barely knew. Anne Perry died in April 2023 at the age of 84. She just died recent, six months ago. Mm. She went on to have an amazing life, no bad karma for her. I know, right? And she ended up fucking millions of sales, book Did sales. Did she have kids? Was she married? Not sure. So, look, I want to add that I saw that film at the cinema many minutes when it first came out and I remember going into it unwittingly, not knowing what it was about, and I went with my best friend at the time and she was like, we have to see this film. I think she knew more about it than I knew about it. I thought it was just a film about best friends and yeah. I remember rocking in the corner at the end of it going, what uh... the fuck did I just watch and being completely trauma. I remember, like, having nightmares about it afterwards. Because uh, it's so magical. 
Yeah, and I haven't seen it. it since. Like I haven't seen it, but I remember thinking it's like, you know, it's like the Bad Boy Bubby mm. when I was forced to watch Bad Boy Bubby and it literally was like the scarring. worst film ever. And you yeah, can't scarring. watch it ever again. Yeah. Beautiful Creatures was like that for me. It was scarring. It was something that I thought about a lot. And as soon as, and like, even though I watched it once when I was probably 14 at the cinema, I remember everything yeah. that you're talking about and how brutal it was. I think what I'd only Vinny seen think it. about it? Well, he liked it. I only, I think I'd only seen it the once too when it came out on VHS. I would have watched it and then watched it again that time. But the mother is very familiar, the actress. And I looked at her IMDb and I can't pick where she was from. Maybe it was just yeah, this I role can. that I um can just remember her in because it's tragic. I remember how brutal the killing was too how awful it was and how like lack of remorse, how much lack of remorse yeah. you had after it. Yeah. Like, eh. But it's done super well. Like when um the mum kills her, you can see they sort of cut to this sort of play scene of Pauline standing on the dock while Juliet's with her parents on a boat going away, screaming like you can see they sort of make it as it's there. Now they've done that. They're not going to get what they want. They're not mm. going to ever be mm. together again mm. yeah but it's, it's done very well and i would recommend it it's the only traumatic part is the end part mm. but Vinny guys Vinny did say while we were watching it i think we we're about halfway through and it's like so when does this crime happen I'm like at the end babe <laughs> <laughs> she dies at the end <laughs> so i remember being totally into it all the way until it started getting really dark and being well, what's happening here? What's going to happen here? And I think when they went on the walk, I was like, no. <laughs> this no, is not good. Not but this. do you remember at the very beginning, it shows them running up the path and it just shows um, Kate Winslet screaming into the camera covered in blood. And you're like, what the fuck? Where's this going? Yeah. Yeah. YouTube. Watch it. Fuck. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed our true crime tales from across the globe. Tune in next week for Pop Culture, where we'll be discussing the topic everyone's dying to be part of and literally will if we are ever part of one, the apocalypse. But for now, dear listeners, like, share, subscribe, all of the things. And remember, if you're whining, you're winning. I'm definitely whining and winning. Me too. Good night, stupid bitches. Good night, stupid bitches. Yeah, that stupid bitch. Mm -hmm. He's a stupid bitch. What a stupid bitch. That stupid bitch.